Welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast, everyone. Sorry for the awkward transition there, but I am back at it this week. Uh, actually, I think it's only been about four or five days since I last sent a podcast towards you. Maybe even a little longer than that. It's been a it's been a busy one for me, but in a good way. Uh, I've had uh, some company here over the the holidays, and uh, it was very refreshing for me. So I hope you had a good holiday. I hope you spent it with your family, or at least maybe some friends. Uh, and I hope it was energizing, recharging for you, because it was for me, and I, it was desperately needed, especially considering all the stuff that's been going on, not only in the world, but in my personal life as well. Let me adjust this mic just a little bit, just a tad. How's that look? Okay. As you can see, uh, I have some cool new widgets on here. Um, if anybody is watching and wants to throw a like or uh, anything like that up there, please do. It'll show up in this counter above me right here. Uh, as always, I have my screen right below uh, below me in the bottom right corner, and then I also have a uh, chat right down here that will show up. It should at least if uh, it's working properly. Anyway, thank you for coming back, uh, listeners that are returning, and if you're new, uh, welcome to the Unfounded Podcast. Uh, first off, please, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, go and check me out on the on uh, Instagram at the Unfounded Podcast uh, or Instagram.com slash the Unfounded Pod, uh, Facebook.com slash the Unfounded Podcast, and on Twitter.com slash the Unfounded Pod. I'm uh, getting on Twitter a little bit more. I'm trying to figure out a little bit more, uh, a way to be a little more engaged on that. So, uh, that'll be coming soon. And also YouTube is in the works. I realized that, um, some of the live streams that I've been doing before the audio was coming out improperly. So I have to figure that side out right now. I'm only live on Facebook and unfortunately I'm only live on my personal profile right now. Uh, that's because I'm having issues logging into the unfounded podcast, uh, website, uh, Facebook profile. So I will get that fixed soon. Uh, until then, I will be uploading the videos for the live version uh, on the Unfounded Podcast website. Okay. So uh, if you have any comments or if you have any questions about the podcast, uh, please drop me a message on any of those social media websites. I really like to hear back from you guys and thank you for your support up until now. Um, all right, guys, without any more further ado, I know that's a lot of talking. Also, sorry for the delays of those, for those of you that are watching live. Uh, I had some technical difficulties there at the beginning, as always, right? <laughs> but uh, I want to get on here and talk to you uh, a little bit about doubt today, and specifically self-doubt. It's in kind of the description of the episode here. But first off, I want to start uh, this week with our quote of the episode. It's going to be by uh, Neil Gaiman. Sometimes you wake up, sometimes the fall kills you. And sometimes when you fall, you fly. As I said before, that's a quote by Neil Gaiman from Fables and Reflections. It's also, it's obviously talking about dreaming here, right? Let me show you guys what I'm looking at here. Sometimes you wake up, sometimes the fall kills you. And sometimes when you fall, you fly. Dreams are dangerous. They're not as solid as the real world, right? 
There's a mushy quality about them. There's an unknown quality about them. Unpredictability. There's a certain aspect of your dreams that feel a little bit out of your control, outside of you, right? Why is that? Right? <laughs> That's a good question. Where do your dreams come from? <clears throat> I don't know why it's switching back and forth here, guys. I apologize. Oh. Something's not cooperating there. I apologize for that, but we're just going to keep pushing on. Where do your dreams come from? That's a deeply spiritual question, right? I think it aligns with where does your purpose come from? Where does your individuality come from? What are you? Those are all similar questions. They lead to a similar place. Everything that's been going on in my life, and I'm sure if you're a listener here, you have your own set of circumstances that are hard to deal with. When you're in one of those circumstances, one of those situations where it's it's a kind of a darkest before the dawn or maybe at rock bottom, <clears throat> it's really important, I think, to try to figure out what you have done right, not just what you've done wrong. In what ways have you actually actioned what you've been thinking about? Because I think that's fundamentally <clears throat> the role of the human being. Excuse me. I have a frog in my throat. But the role of the human being in some way, I think, is to be a translator. From kind of that realm that I just described, the dream realm, where everything's kind of mushy and unstable. And outside of the individual... For the individual to grab some of that and to pull it into reality. I want to look up something really quick here. Let's see if I can get this to work again here. Can you stay there? Okay. We're having some technical difficulties there, guys, on the YouTube. Sorry about that, but we're just going to keep pushing on. Like I said, it's going to be very small in the corner there for you. There's this idea of the Akashic knowledge, of Akashic knowledge. Let me see if I can spell it right. Knowledge. <laughs> oh, this is going to get into some uh, interesting things here. Conjuring, yeah, okay. I'm going to try to talk to talk about it, uh, maybe Wikipedia. Akashic Records. That's what I'm looking for. Sorry about the delay there, guys. And theosophy, and theosophy, I don't even know what that is. Theosophy is a religion established in the United States during the late 19th century. This is interesting. And anthropos, uh, anthroposophy, that's an interesting one as well, is a philosophy founded in the early 20th century by the esotericist Rudolf Steiner. It postulates the existence of an objective, intellectually comprehensible, spiritual world accessible to the human experience. Interesting. In both of these religions, the Akashic Records is a compendium. That's an interesting word as well. Let's keep on going on the definitions here. A compendium 
It's a concise collection of information pertaining to a body of knowledge. Okay. Of all universal events, thoughts, words, emotions, and intent ever to be, have occurred in the past, present, or future in terms of all entities and life forms. Sorry for the distraction there. Not just human. They're believed by theosophists to be encoded in a non-physical plane of existence known as the mental plane. The mental plane is a world of thought in hermeticism, theosophical, (laughs) Rosicrucian, and Arbindonian, and (laughs) New Age thought, geez, that's a mouthful, refers to the macroscomic or universal plane of reality that is made up purely of thought or mind stuff. This is kind of what I'm talking about. You know, sorry for all the descriptions there and the stumbling. It is believed all thoughts, words, and intent, etc., generates its own unique frequency or vibration, which is stored in the Akashic Records. This is something that I've talked to you before about, uh, if you've been listening for a while, with morphic resonance. Uh, Sheldrake. Rupert Sheldrake is the name of the, uh, the scientist that came up with the theory of morphic resonance. And it kind of, I think, hinges on an idea of something like this. Universal knowledge base. Something deeper that's not kind of physical. Somewhat spiritual in nature. Changing, morphing, living, some would say. Almost like a consciousness of sorts, right? But I've often wondered myself if, like, when you dream, if what you're doing is not tapping into that world the Akashic world this realm that Rupert Sheldrake talks about and that obviously some more obscure religions that I wasn't even familiar with have uh, talked about and theorized about uh, some of the more obscure ones to be fair of this realm of information of sorts but not just the type of data that we see leveraged in our economic system. What is the purpose of the human being, right? To be a translator of sorts. To tap into that Akashic record. To figure out how their individual key which door that fits and to kind of express the knowledge that comes forth after that. You know what I mean? And it's like every, every individual has their own key and own door. You know, it's like you, 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 that's what's so important about your suffering, about the stuff that you go through, the hurdles that are placed in front of you. That's why it's so important to switch to your perspective, I think, from kind of a passive one, one in which you're a victim, kind of, not kind of, but one in which you're a victim, to one in which you're an active participant that is looking internally for guideposts, landmarks, hints. I have to turn this down really quick, guys. Give me one second. I apologize. 
It's so important for people to go through those hurdles, to figure out a way over those hurdles, because that's exactly how they figure out what unlocks their door. And what we need right now as a society, as a species, is something like everybody figuring out where their key is. And it's difficult because you, it's, it's, it, it, it can't be found by externally. It can't be found by any leader or any political party, any religion itself, honestly, by itself. Or at least using the religion itself as a crutch, improperly used, maybe. Let's say, let me go deeper with that a little bit, like the religion as a crutch thing, right? I'm not saying that religion is bad in any way. I've, I've kind of preached for, your, for you finding what speaks to you, right? That's the point of it, I think. There's a scary aspect to religion, at least from my experience as a little anecdotal in Catholicism, this, this fear of kind of giving up on the religion itself. But that maybe people get caught in this, in this fear fear place where they don't necessarily believe deeply in, in, in the aspects of the religion that they go and celebrate every week but they kind of fear leaving it and that holds them there and that's kind of a, a form of, of dishonesty So that it's necessary for you to really find which religion speaks to you, that pulls you. As if you're being pulled by somebody that you're attracted to. Same kind of feeling, love, right? It pops up in different forms. But it... it, it Sorry about that. I got a little overwhelmed there for a second. Those of you watching, you can see that I'm a little emotional right now. I'm trying to sort through why, and I think it's because of what I was about to say. That love should pop up in every part of your life. Not, not just when it pertains to love, quotation marks. There's something deeply necessary about finding out what makes you unique individual. The path to that requires you realizing how the suffering you've, you've, you've taken on, you've, the burdens you've taken on, how they've affected you, and how you've allowed those burdens to affect other people. Because that'll give you the key to accessing your door, right? It's not like there's... I don't think it works like you go and open all of a sudden there's this instance where you all of a sudden know your purpose and your truth and you know everything you're supposed to say and everything you're supposed to do to get there. It's not, I don't think it works that way. I think it's like the process of trying to get there to attain that, to learn who you are, 
setting off on the adventure of figuring out who you, who and what you are is um, part of it. The realizations that happen along the path to striving for that is what gives you your purpose. This process is so fundamental, I think. It's something, like I said, has been talked about in many different religions. I think everyone, if you really look deep enough in some, in some form or, or, or other, the development of the individual and the human being is so deeply necessary, but it's so utterly lacking in the modern society when you look at it, the emphasis on this at least. And I want to figure out kind of why that is. That's why I want to talk about doubt and self-doubt. Because it's very easy to blame the institutions and the structures that we've created for this process. But that is, in some ways, placing yourself in the victim space. Those things were constructed before me. This, This is out of my control. There's nothing I can do. But that's not true, I don't think. We each individually give up on ourselves, is what the truth is. Chasing your dreams requires a lot of courage. It's not for the faint of heart. Because of that, it's rare to find someone that's actually achieved what they set out to achieve, right? Somebody that has will to power as Nietzsche would describe it. The ability to take an idea from that Akashic record, that space, that dream dream state, it's like another dimension, right? The ability to take the information, that real information, translate it into this reality. There's no greater skill than that. I don't think you can argue for any deeper purpose for the human being than that. What keeps people from doing that? Themselves. Nothing else. <laughs> and you could say, like, Chris, we need to solve it, though, because there, it is influenced by these institutions, these structures, these things we put in place. That's true. But it's something like it's impractical to try to solve the solution that to, to try to solve the problem that way. Because your greatest point of leverage is always. I don't know if this is going to be kind of a good metaphor, but it's like your greatest point of leverage is always kind of closest. I don't know if that works. I'm going to move on from that. But like, people need to be motivated to take action themselves. And that's one of the hardest things to do, too, as a leader, especially politically, is to figure out a way to motivate people to act in certain ways. Because the reality is we are fundamentally all so individual. 
It's something like I was talking about this with my parents as they, when they were here. It's something like we go through similar effects. The things that people do to us, the way it feels, hurt, disappointment, sadness, anger, resentment, all of those negative emotions, there's a reason we have words for each of those. And it's because ways we can distill the, 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 the mode of being that it puts you in when somebody acts in a certain way. Because of that, regardless of the circumstance, we have a mode or a method of, of, of identifying how we're all the same. Through that kind of feeling, right? That experience, fundamental experience of going through all those negative emotions, regardless of the situation that brought you them, but recognizing that everybody has those emotions and everybody has gone through something that has brought about that type of suffering. And maybe if they haven't, there's a funny way in which the universe brings those when they're necessary. God, whatever you want to call it. That the way this thing works has a way of bringing the kind of hurdle, the hurdle, placing the hurdle precisely where you need it. <laughs> so that if a certain individual, maybe you know somebody that you may think, uh, I heard this a lot in modern days, like, oh, they, they're they privileged, right? People are privileged. And it's like, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a tricky and, and, and I think dangerous idea, privilege. Because it kind of, as soon as you say, you take that as affirmative, that, that people who have it better off exist. You have to assert that you have a pretty good control on how all this works in some way. on the necessity for everybody to have experienced exactly what you experienced, maybe. Right? Or for people to realize, I think at a deeper level, I think there's some of it as well, for people to realize how deep that suffering goes. Or maybe even for people to kind of recognize how much that suffering gets incorporated into individuals' egos so that people try to use it to build themselves up in a weird way. The thing that hurts them is exactly what they latch on to to build them up. And I think that's something that's going on modern day as well. But none of these are positive ways of realizing your own individuality. It's a it's means of hiding it from yourself. I've been... I've been going through a kind of a personal journey for the last couple of years. I've been talking about it with a very close friend, an ex-girlfriend that uh, I believe has gone through some own struggles herself. And it's been refreshing to come across somebody, not that struggled, but that understands the necessity for this type of work. 
because I think it is deeply necessary. So understand that one of the, the hardest things that we need to learn modern day, that the modern human needs to learn, is to love him or herself first. To love their self first. Self, right? You. How do you love something you don't know? People say, I know who I am. Okay. It's not my place to tell you you don't. That your individuality is something that's kind of fearless. Something that's unfiltered. It's based in truth. Oftentimes, it has a comedic tint to it. Because truth is funny. And at a base, everything is kind of a comedy. So you can recognize honesty with a certain playfulness, playful nature, right? In yourself and other people. Propagating play. Where else do you see play? What time of life have we segmented for play? <laughs> when you're a kid, right? There's this really important time frame when, between when a kid is old enough to kind of fully articulate who, like, with speech and when they develop a personality like this this gap and I feel like there's this point where you can recognize inside children the individuality that I'm talking about here because I believe and this is my belief that you're born innately knowing what you're supposed to do or what your intention is here at the very least or whatever you are you're born knowing that you're born kind of with love in your eyes the love of the universe in your eyes and that's why when you look at a baby, you know, a newborn baby, it, there's this, this innocence, this, this beauty, right? That you, is hard to find anywhere else because it's unadulterated. Something like the, the, the awe that you get when you look out into over the Grand Canyon or something, right? Or look into space at night if you have a really starry night, something like that. Similar experience. I think that's because you're recognizing those are the same things. You're recognizing that but the individual is not separated from the universe or from the earth or from anything that's going on, that all of this is kind of attached in some way. And that we know that deeply, but that the modern man has been detached from that sense of feeling. And that as children grow, before they're able to really talk, you can see by what they're interested in and how they exert themselves and how they express themselves, you know, what, who they are, right? How, how, how much of proclivity they have to throw tantrums as I did when I was a younger kid, you know, how many, how much of a, uh, how, how, uh, quick to temper they are maybe, right? What types of toys they like, what colors they like, things like that, right? This individuality coming forth. And that many would argue that, 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 that the, the, the nurture plate 
nurture aspect is really what develops that. But I think that there's a, a blending of those two perspectives, nurture and nature, that you have both happening often. Every time you have both happening to varying degrees at different points in time, right? So it's complicated. <laughs> Always. But something happens as kids learn to talk, as they get expressed to other kids or exposed to other kids, not expressed, right? <laughs> you remember it. If you think really hard, you'll think back to just how scary it is when you go to, what is it, kindergarten, that your first day of school. And you walk into the classroom and you're looking out at all these faces that look like you and kind of your first experience and in, in the real world, in a weird way, even though it's not the real world. As a kid, that's the real world. And then immediately what starts to happen is this process of ego building. But it's not that it's designed that way. This is a fundamental process. This is something that's been taking place since hum humans have been taking place. <laughs> right? That... The reason that I think religions exist, regardless of the type of religion and why they're so deeply rooted throughout culture histor historically is because there's a t an attachment to this fundamental story, the story of the ego, story of the adventure that comes from somebody being lost and then being found, right? And you see this in the born-again versions of Western religions. That you're found when you're born and then you lose yourself and the point of life is to kind of find yourself again and in the middle of that, all of the struggle and all the suffering and all the hurdles and everything that you do in between that, that's you growing. It's like, what's the purpose of it? For you to grow. How else do you grow? If you already had everything you needed, this would cease to be anything interesting. It's when the Eastern religion perspective comes into play a little bit more, too. The, necess the necessity for a duality, for good and evil, up and down, left and right. You know? Dark and light. You need those hurdles. You need that adventure. What do you watch when you sit on the couch? <laughs> You're trying to go on a little adventure when you sit down and try to and want to pick out a movie, right? What do you do when you sit down and play a video game? You're trying to go on an adventure. We sell people experience. Marketing, right? If you ever watched Mad Men, it's a fantastic show. You know, what do you sell people? I think I think there's this one episode where he the main character, I forget his name right now, but he they're talking about this subject. Like, what do we sell? And I believe it was something like I'm paraphrasing here, like like lifestyle. We don't sell a product, right? We sell an idea. And that what you buy when you buy anything really today is an idea. And not only do you buy ideas, you play with them, too. An adventure is an idea. It can be made into an idea, or it can be lived out. 
physically. You can live your adventure. When I was a kid, I was fascinated with video games. I loved and reading too, more fiction reading when I was a kid, right? I loved reading, especially when I was a little bit younger, and video games, and history, and movies. Those are my things. <laughs> but as I grew up, and as I kind of went out into the world, I started to have a hard time sitting down. Maybe some of you that are my age, I'm 29 right now, about to turn 30 here in March, and at this age, I feel like I've gotten to a point where when I sit down and play a video game, I feel like I'm trying to, I'm wasting a certain amount of time. That when you're very young, you don't have a concept of time, right? But that when you get older, you start to understand how this passage of time, it can shift on you. <laughs> Slippery son of a bitch, right? And there's this weird way in which further you go down the line, the quicker it feels. So that as I've gotten older, I felt the necessity to live out the adventure instead of simulate it. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it, right? But that's also a part of me that I need to work on a little bit too because I have a workaholic nature, never being able to turn off. And that there is a place for these things, not that I'm trying to rail against any kind of enjoyment. <laughs> you should enjoy yourself and your time. I don't know why this keeps on turning itself on. I apologize, folks. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure this out here. You should have time for yourself. You need time for yourself. I'm hoping it's not going to you guys this sounds. But that there is a weird way in which we've sold people this experience, this adventure, and in, in, a, in an odd, in an insidious turn of events, and whether intentionally or unintentionally, it's robbed people of their actual drive to go out into the world and experience the world as it's intended as an adventure, right? To simulate it instead. As if there was an adventure waiting for you at every turn. The difference is, when you go and do it in the real world, it's scarier, right? <laughs> so people don't do it in the real world. You have the option now. How do you want to live your life? Do you want to live it digitally or actually? Analog or digital, what's your choice? Isn't that weird? I remember when I was a kid, it was always it was always about the. I could never figure out what analog meant on the was it the original PlayStation controller. Remember, it had the analog button on there. I could never figure out what that was. And I would look because this was before Google was a big thing, so I didn't know how to figure out what analog meant. I could have just looked it up in a dictionary, but when I look, I think I did, but then it didn't make sense according to the definition. <laughs> so I went a long period of time in my childhood not knowing what analog meant, but recognizing now that. It's something like default, right? Do you want to live like the... Well, let's look it up really quick, actually. That's a good... I probably should just say it. Analog definition. Relating to or using signals or information represented by a continuously variable physical quantity such as a spatial position. Voltage. See what I'm talking about? Well, I did not understand that. <laughs> a person or thing seen as comparable to another analog. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked here, folks. 
the thing that keeps people from doing living their life as an adventure as it's intended to be is fear. More specifically, it's doubt. It takes change. It takes chaos. It takes welcoming chaos. Being the thing that says, hey, come on in. Let's rearrange it. You know? In your life, I'm talking about. Why? Because you know there's things that aren't working in your life. There's things that aren't working in my life. I think that's one thing that is fairly relatable amongst people. I do think it's kind of impossible to say the opposite. That there isn't aspects of your life that are incomplete, parts of you that are not well put together. That if you tried to assert anything besides that, you'd immediately be perceived as an egomaniac. So that in, in, in some weird way, it's an innate truth that we all need to recognize. And in recognizing that truth, recognizing the necessity for us to do that work on ourselves. That work kind of being made up of, of all of the hurt and sorrow and guilt and regret and past crap that you've taken along and burning off of the way that you view the world initially or in the, in the time frame in which you make the decision to change your perspective. You have to be willing to let go of the way you view the world. You have to be willing to let go of the, the vices, the things that shift your perspective when you want it to be shifted so that you are willing to accept reality as is, as such. There's a necessity in accepting reality as such continuously and advice numbs you from that and that through doing all of this kind of work your individuality reveals itself again because it never left you it was there from the beginning that ego game you played when you walked into kindergarten on the first day that you started way back then what you started to do is, was bury yourself bury your individuality all of us did this bury the hopes and the dreams of that little kid what they envisioned for their life what they wanted it to be how big those were how grand it was for everyone that once the competition and the negative motivation the tendency for human beings to allow themselves to be overtaken by negative emotion and to wreak havoc on the others around them when they are motivated in that way causes a sort of chain reaction reaction a cancerous growth inside the body human right that is that spreads like wildfire and that has spread for all of humanity's, humanity's existence. And this necessitated a cure of sorts. That being that work we just described. Each individual rooting through that. Right?
I think there is a weird way going back to kind of the original idea we started talking about Akashic Records, right? A universal knowledge base. The only way you kind of get to a place where you can unlock your door is to kind of be ready to, to prep yourself for it. You have to know who you are and what you're looking for. You have to take off the mask that's blinding you from it. It's kind of like the door is right here, but you're wearing a mask that doesn't allow you to see it. The mask is your ego. You have to take that off before you can ever see. Oh, oh, right? There's a preparation that's necessary and a certain amount of sacrifice that's necessary at a fundamental level, which is also why I believe there's sacrifice existent within most, you know, theologies throughout history. You must sacrifice yourself at a fundamental level. Your ego is your conception of you. You have to sacrifice your conception of you to see who you really are. I think this is what Einstein was doing. I think this is what Tesla was doing. I think this is what all of the great thinkers throughout history were doing. Philosophers. I think this is what theologians were doing. I think this is what the fundamental challenge of the human being is. The fundamental challenge of the human being is to solve the problem that is you. And at a greater level, if you had to define it, it'd be something like, how do you get every human being, individual perspective, to do that? To do that work. Up until now, it's been religion. I don't think it's going to be that anymore. I think it's going to be a distillation of all of the religions, right? Something like a modern philosophy of sorts. There's a necessity for it. A necessity for a new way of thinking, a new mode of being in which human beings develop a moral and ethical code that they can agree upon so that the structures that either already are in place or structures that are built after this operate effectively and efficiently. Because what's happened in a lot of these you know, structures, practically, is a sort of rot stemming from this ego problem. The inability of the individual to deal with their own individual, individual suffering and how they take that out on the world when 90% of 75% of your life is taking place somewhere else, a workplace, if you don't have yourself well sorted out, you're doing a lot of that within the organization. Sometimes even disguising yourself behind the positions of the organization to do it. Using the position itself as power 
as a form of power and taking out your angst and your anger and your negative emotion on people that have nothing to do with the underlying problem. I think this process is much more common than we like to admit. How do you fix that, right? You have to be willing to be courageous and look at yourself in a very critical light, not only yourself, but your, severe, your sphere of influence. Oftentimes that, that, that's what that entails. Many times people latch on to other people or other ideas, institutions, whatever, to build their ego. So that the process of tearing down your ego is something like a process of eliminating those things that are a part of it. And that can be very painful. Saying goodbye to people that you may have thought would have been there your whole life. Maybe quitting jobs or leaving organizations that you thought were positive. Maybe you know it's negative people organizations or or things that you're involved in, but yet you still love those individuals, and so the cutting out of it is still painful regardless. Having courage to do that work, regardless of what you come across, to at least start down that path, and then taking the painful action when it's presented, making those small sacrifices. Coming in the, culminating in the, kind of the ultimate sacrifice of a grand perspective shift something most people call or, or talk about in, in religions is like an enlightenment of sorts. That it's not that people, that people throughout history haven't talked about this because it's some kind of like make-believe thing they made in their head. That, no, this is an actual thing you can experience. You can have a spiritual awakening, right? And that's a very physical kind of thing. Perspective shifts are a physical thing. I in some ways believe that drugs, what they do is shift your perspective like that. Different drugs do a different perspective shift so that if you're sitting here and you smoke weed, it pops you to here. And let's say you're sitting here and you snore cocaine, it pops you to here, whatever. It's a different angle on the world. You can, it's actually a different perspective, right? The, the reason why it's euphoric when you have a spiritual experience is because you're doing the same thing a drug would do, but you're doing it organically. Whoa, right? That's real. That's real. It's not foo-foo, but it requires courage and belief in yourself that there is kind of a deeper you, that kid you. That's the best way to, I think, conceptualize it internally, especially if you are wrapped in your ego. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that because I think most people are. We all are. I am too, to a certain degree. I'm always trying to sort through it, which is I think the best you can do, right? But that to some degree, we're always going to have an ego. The point is you trying to sort through it, right? You have to believe in that, 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 that kid. The dreams of that kid. You have to re-spark those and reignite those. You have to go back into that treasure chest, that toy chest that you put away in the closet and route through it. You know what I mean? Go look at some old photo albums. Figure out who that kid was. Right? And then take the smallest step into bringing that back into being. All of it that perspective the one that looked out into the world and saw nothing but beauty 
the one that looked out into the world and, 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 and had an incessant urge to play. One that wouldn't go away until it was <laughs> quenched, right? Something that's present within all children. That the best you could do as an adult is to learn how to play again. Learn how to be who you really are again. That you could create some amazing things by doing that. That you shouldn't focus on what you'll create. But that you have the ability to make anything. The only thing that's stopping you is self-doubt. The belief that it can't happen. Staying in a logical mindset frame of mind in which there has to be a step-by-step progression. Not realizing that the dream is the spyglass. That what you're doing is sailing on an ocean surrounded by clouds. And you're up in the crow's nest and you have a spyglass, right? And you're looking for land and you're looking for land. And the more you look, the more you look, the more likely you are to see land. But that when you do finally see land, you can't see how to get there. The process of belief is something like that, that faith is something like that. That you need to figure out what the path is there, that you have to take the scary leap of sailing into the unknown, going into the clouds, risking running aground, right? Risking it all. You, risking you. But that when you do that successfully, you and you look back, you've blazed a new path, you've charted a new trail, you've done something unique, something that nobody else has done but you. So that when I say you could do anything, I feel like what I mean is you could do what you're always meant to be. You could do what you're always meant to do. I've been doubting myself because this project itself is something like that for me. It's been like that for me. That what I've tried to do from the beginning of this podcast is to distill and describe the process of trying, uh, of implementing success in my life. Trying to figure out what that looks like and describe it. Not only for myself, to guide myself, but so that maybe if it does work, it can be a guide, serve as a guidepost to other people, right? that I've been doubting my ability to do that. 
that life can be tough, man. It can throw you curveballs and it will, and it will, and it will, <laughs> right? And then every time it throws you curveballs, your reaction is, it, it's everything. That you have to be willing to take the punches. You know what I mean? It's like that quote from Rocky. That, that, it's one of the older, the, the more recent movies. When he's talking to his son. It's somewhat overused and corny, but it's this idea of, you know, you can get hit. It's okay to get hit. It's okay to lose, but you got to get back up. You do get back up. Right? It's okay to lose. It's okay to make mistakes, right? But don't doubt yourself. The doubt's what really makes you fail. The doubt is what's going to hide that door from you. That doubt is something that will build your ego as well. Because the more you doubt yourself, the more you'll turn away from the thing that will give you security, stability, source. The more unstable you'll feel, the more you'll look out into the world to other people, other things, to try to hold you upright, the less those things will be effective and the more you'll down, you'll spiral. And in saying that, it's like, oh, so just eliminate doubt. That's easy. <laughs> I don't think any of these emotions, the ones that we would consider negative, I don't think any of those can be eliminated. I don't think they should be. I don't think your intent should be to eliminate any emotion. No. Your intent should be to treat the emotion... I want to say is like a form of communication. A way in which you take in data. But also a way in which you can translate that data, that physical kind of accumulation of things. You can translate it with something deeper. A grander tool your spirit, right? Approaching your emotions in that way, you the proper mode of being is not to eliminate the emotion, but allow it to flow through you, right? Like water, as Bruce Lee would say. to embrace the suffering, the hurt, the negative aspects of human emotion. Because it's not necessary to tell you to embrace the positive ones. You're already, do, do, already doing a fine job of that yourself right now. <laughs> I'm sure of it. But to learn to embrace the negative ones. To leverage them. To interpret those emotions. The data that comes from that negative emotion. To leverage that in a positive way to make something stable in the world with structure and order to reach into the chaotic mush that is nature itself and to pull something resembling 
order, peace, balance. It's necessary. Balance doesn't need to, and it never will come externally. By looking externally for something to hold you up, you're automatically throwing yourself off kilter. <laughs> need to have both feet planted firmly on the ground. As we go through these repeated lockdowns, regardless of how restrictive they are where you are, as your life's changing around you, right? Your day-to-day work, your kids, if you have them, how they're going to school, how you're shopping, what you shop for, how much you buy, right? How much you spend going out to eat, whether you do anymore. All of these things, these little things that seem trivial that are changing in your life, don't allow yourself to write those off. So write off the emotion that comes along with that change as if it's something that's trivial, because I promise you it isn't. That everything you go through is necessary That's data being fed you by the universe. Take it in. Interpret it. Distill it. Figure out how to make it something positive and balanced. And with that, I want to thank you for tuning in to tonight's episode of the Unfounded Podcast. Thank you very much to my live listeners. I appreciate you tuning in, guys. If you're listening on uh, on the podcast Thank you very much for listening there. If you did enjoy it, please like, share, or subscribe. I, it's much appreciated. Check me out on my new webpage, which is, there's a link for that on my Facebook page. Uh, it's going to be on anchor.com. You may have heard the advertisement for it at the beginning of the podcast, but please check out anchor.fm if you are interested. And I just want to say at the very end of this, thank you for your support, guys. I really enjoy this. I hope you're doing well out there. I'll talk to you soon. Lots of love. Bye-bye.